Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome to Basketball History 101. I am your host, Rick Loiza. This is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. And today we're going to talk about the time that the Lakers' plane crashed in an Iowa cornfield. It's Sunday, January 17th, 1960, and the Lakers had just played the St. Louis Hawks earlier in the day and were flying home to Minneapolis. Now, there are two things I want to cover before we keep going. One, yes, the Atlanta Hawks used to be located in St. Louis, where they won their only championship in 1958. Second, the Lakers were still located in Minneapolis. They wouldn't move to L.A. until after the conclusion of the 1960 season. Now, back to the plane crash. It's an extremely snowy night. They are originally supposed to take off during early evening, around 5.30, but the weather caused a delay. When the generator on the plane broke down, they had to wait even longer for repairs to be made. The plane was finally ready to take off around 8.30 that night. For me, that would have been enough to call it a day. There would be no way that I would get on that plane. I'd go find a hotel in St. Louis and fly out the next morning on a different plane. The plane they used that night was a DC-3, so it's only the Lakers on this plane. It sat between 21 and 32 people depending on the configuration. It had a propeller on each wing and traveled at a top speed of around 200 miles an hour. Now, just for reference, modern passenger planes travel at around 500 miles an hour. But rather than wait for the next day, the Lakers board the plane and head home from Minneapolis. The pilot kept the plane unusually low to avoid crashing into the stack of planes waiting to land at St. Louis. Now, remember, these planes did not have the same instruments that modern planes have. It was very basic equipment by today's standards. The plane was in the air for maybe 10 minutes and the generator broke again. And this is really, really bad because the generator is what was powering the lights, the heat, the navigation tools, and the radio. So they were stranded in who knows where. They can't communicate with the tower in St. Louis. In fact, they can't communicate with a tower anywhere without a radio. The flight started to get bumpy, but eventually leveled off. You can imagine that the players are starting to get quite nervous and quite cold. Remember, it's snowing outside, which means it's already really cold. And with no heater working on the plane, the inside of the plane starts to get really cold too. After a little while, their Hall of Fame forward, Jim Pollard, heads up to the cockpit to talk to the pilots and make sure that everything's okay. When he opens the door, he sees the pilots are watching their instruments using battery-powered flashlights. He asks, how's everything going, fellas? One of the pilots answered, we're flying by the stars. And he's dead serious. Pollard tried to keep cool and returned to his seat. What's normally a two-hour flight becomes three hours, and then three and a half. And now fuel starts to become a serious issue. The pilots didn't really know where they were, but they knew that they were nowhere near Minneapolis. 
they were nowhere near an airport, period. So now they have to figure out a place to land and land quickly. Now because of the snow, these guys are literally opening the window and trying to scrape the ice off the windshield by hand. With no electric power, the windshield wipers were not working either. Thankfully, they were somewhere over Iowa, which is super flat, and that's a really good thing. But the pilot wants to check with the team first. He walks back to the cabin to explain the situation to everyone. They could keep looking for an airport or try to land in a cornfield. The players were unanimous. Put this thing on the ground now. The pilot said, okay, buckle your seatbelt, boys, and say a prayer. Tell me that that doesn't instill confidence in you if you're one of the Lakers players. They start to fly very low to get a good look at a decent cornfield. One of the things that they have to be careful of are electric wires and telephone wires hanging from telephone poles. They don't want to take out electricity in the state of Iowa. But when the pilot returned to the cockpit, he left the cockpit door open by accident. The players can totally see the pilot struggling to get the plane down and they can see them working by flashlight. As the players look out the window, they notice that they are low enough to make out the model of cars driving down the road. All of the players are now praying out loud and making promises to God to reform their sinful ways if only God would spare them from this. Finally, the pilot sees an open cornfield and decides to go for it. The field is covered in four feet of snow, which is a ton of snow. And this is a very, very good thing for them. The other thing that happened was that somebody must have alerted the authorities about a plane flying really low with no lights on because a fire truck was following them for a couple of miles. The landing itself was actually really, really smooth. Four feet of snow is soft. It's like landing the plane on a pillow. If you were holding a cup of coffee, you would not even have spilled a drop during that landing. The plane finally comes to a stop and everybody starts cheering. Then they hear a knock on the door. I mean, who even knew they were there? They were completely unaware of the fire truck that was following them. When they open the door, it's a firefighter holding a huge axe ready to bust the door down if they hadn't opened it. They trudge quite a distance to the nearest road where several more rescue vehicles were waiting for them. And the word must have gotten around that a plane was in trouble. But what really startled the players was the sight of a hearse. It turns out that the local undertaker heard the news of a potential plane crash and came running out looking for business. The players joked with the undertaker saying, sorry bud, no customers today. They were given a ride to a local hotel that had enough room for everyone. Naturally, they had trouble falling asleep after what they'd been through. So they brewed some coffee, pulled out a deck of cards, and started playing poker. The team made it home safely the next day, which was a Monday. And all was well. They wouldn't have to play another game until Saturday when the Knicks rolled into town. But imagine how the landscape of the NBA would have changed if that night had turned out differently. Elgin Baylor was only in his second year in the league. He had yet to team up with Jerry West. That wouldn't happen until the following season. The Lakers probably would have folded if they had lost the entire team. They were already struggling financially, and this would have completely devastated the franchise. They probably would have never moved to LA. Since that season, the Lakers have played in the NBA Finals 25 times, winning 11 championships. All of that would go away. The Showtime Lakers would never exist. In 1979, the Chicago Bulls had the second pick in the draft. Without the Lakers there, they probably get the first pick and they take Magic Johnson. And now we'd be talking about the Showtime Bulls of the 1980s. Maybe when Kareem wants out of Milwaukee in the mid-70s, 
he goes to his hometown Knicks instead of the Lakers. Maybe Kobe stays with the Charlotte Hornets, the team that drafted him. Maybe Shaq stays with Orlando and brings them multiple titles. I mean, we, we could play this all day, but you get my point. If that plane crash had turned out to be a tragedy, the rest of NBA history changes dramatically. An entire alternate timeline would exist. Thankfully, the pilots were experienced and had flight experience from the military. They stayed calm during the flight and they kept everyone safe. Those two pilots, Vernon Ullman and Howard Gifford, should be considered two of the biggest heroes in NBA history. This has been Basketball History 101. Join us next time as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.